You are listening to the Sermons Podcast from the North Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. For more gospel-focused resources or information about our church, please visit us at thenorthchurch.com. Let's pray together. Father, as we hear your words in Proverbs 3, would you please teach us, reprove us, correct us, and train us in righteousness so that we will be equipped for every good work. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs 3. Proverbs chapter 3. I saw a short video the other day that made me chuckle and, and wince. It goes something like this. A teenage girl just drove her dad's expensive car home, parks it in the driveway. She proudly announces to her dad that she just filled up the gas tank. She mentions that the gas nozzle seemed a little different than normal, and that gets the dad on edge. And he asks her, so what color was the gas nozzle? And she says it was green. And the dad's face falls and his mouth drops in horror because he realizes that his daughter put diesel into the gas tank instead of gasoline. Now I'm guessing that video is not real because uh, a typical diesel fuel nozzle is intentionally too large to fit into a gasoline filler neck. But doesn't it make you cringe a little bit just to imagine that happening? Um, The people who design a car prepare an owner's manual for that car. The, The owner's manual explains how to take care of the car. And if you don't follow basic instructions in the owner's manual, like which kind of fuel to put in the tank, you'll damage the car. One way to damage a car is to put the wrong kind of fuel into it. So here's why this is important for how we live. God designed and created us. And the book of Proverbs, which we're preaching through right now, and the rest of the Bible, but especially the book of Proverbs, is God's manual to instruct us how to live wisely. If we don't do what God tells us, then the consequences will be costly. But if we do what God says, the consequences will be rewarding. Now, I said rewarding. I'm going to use that word reward and the word rewarding a lot as we look at Proverbs 3, 1 to 8. So let me just explain right from the beginning here what I mean by that word reward. Here's one dictionary definition. A reward is a thing given in recognition of one's service, effort, or achievement. Here's a sample sentence. He's reaping the rewards of his hard work and perseverance. That's what I mean by reward. If you do something well, then you receive a benefit for doing it, and the benefit is an incentive for doing the right thing. Here's an example from Proverbs 10.4. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. So the principle is, if you work hard, then you receive wealth. Wealth is the reward. So a reward is a benefit you receive for how you live. The reward, wealth, is an incentive to live a certain way, to work diligently. That's how I'm using the word reward. So now, let's read our text, Proverbs 3, 1 to 8. And as we read it, uh, note that there are several wise commands. and they're all connected to receiving a reward. It's a benefit for how you live. So these rewards are incentives to live wisely. And I've underlined 
the parts that emphasize the reward. So starting in Proverbs 3, verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So verse 2 is the first reward. Verse 3, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So verse 4 is the second reward. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So that second line in verse six and then verse eight is a third reward. So the main idea of Proverbs 3, 1 through 8, is that wisdom is rewarding. Wisdom is rewarding. What is wisdom in the book of Proverbs? It's the skill to live prudently and astutely. So if you obey these wise commands in Proverbs 3, 1 through 8, you'll experience rewards that flow from that wisdom. And specifically, this passage presents three incentives, three rewards of wisdom. So the title of this sermon is Three Rewards of Wisdom. Three Rewards of Wisdom. The ESV helpfully formats this passage in three stanzas, verses one to two, three to four, and five to eight. So that's how we'll look at it. And for each one, we'll consider first the wise command and then the reward. So let's start with that first stanza, verses one and two. Let's read it again. The, at least the, the first part, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep or comply with or guard my commandments. Now who's speaking? In, in the book of Proverbs, the father's the author and thus the spokesman for God. And remember, what is a, what is a proverb? A proverb is a form of poetry, so the lines are logically relating to one another. How does English poetry relate to each other. It tends to rhyme words, right? Rhyming words. Hebrew poetry tends to rhyme or develop thoughts. So these two lines in verse one are parallel in a negative and positive way. Not this, but that. The first line's negative, don't forget my teaching. And the second's positive, but keep. Don't forget, but keep. And you see the words teaching and commandments are two ways of referring to the same thing. So what does it mean to, to forget the teaching in Proverbs? Well, it's the opposite of keeping the commands in Proverbs. So to forget the teaching doesn't mean that you can't remember it. It means that you don't follow it. It means that you don't value it. You don't obey it. So we can summarize the wise command like this. Obey what the book of Proverbs teaches you. That's how you could summarize the wise command of verse one. Obey what the book of Proverbs teaches you. For example, the previous section in Proverbs two that Pastor Stephen preached on last week tells us not to be seduced by the forbidden woman. It's Proverbs 2.16. 
It tells us to keep to the paths of the righteous. That's a way to not forget the teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. So that's the command. Now let's look at the reward. Verse two, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So four indicates that verse two is the reason for verse one. You should obey the wise command in verse one because then you get this reward. And this reward consists of three benefits. Look at them. Length of days is the first one. Years of life is the second. And peace is the third. The first one, length of days, refers to a long life. The second, years of life, refers to a full life in the sense of a, a long time full of life. It's a life worth living. And that third benefit is peace. Translates the Hebrew word that you know, shalom. Shalom, which means welfare, health, prosperity, well-being. The NIV translates shalom here as peace and prosperity. I like how the NLT translates the second line uh, here. The NLT says, your life will be satisfying. Your life will be satisfying. That's good. So one way to summarize this benefit is that you'll have a satisfying life, that, that third benefit. So we can summarize the reward in verse two as a long, full, and satisfying life. Long, full, and satisfying life. So to put it all together, we can summarize verses one and two like this. The reward of obeying what the book of Proverbs teaches you is a long, full, and satisfying life. Now this reward here is similar to three other passages in the Bible. I'll mention them. Exodus 20 says, honor your father and mother. Do you remember what the incentive is? That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Deuteronomy 5, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, and what's the incentive? That your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that your, the Lord your God has given you. And Ephesians 6, children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, parenthetical statement, this is the first commandment with a promise, with a reward, and here's the incentive, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's Ephesians 6. And according to Proverbs 3, 1 and 2, the reward of obeying what the book of Proverbs teaches you is a long, full, and satisfying life. So I've got a question for you. When you read that proverb, three, one, and two, do you think, is that over-promising? That we'll, we'll live a long, full, and satisfying life? Is this over-promising? Is it always the case that if you obey your parents that you'll live a long life? And we could ask similar questions like this about other Proverbs in this book. So here's just a reminder about the style of literature we're reading reading Proverbs, truths that are proverbial. So here's how I define a proverb. It's a short, pithy saying. It expresses a general rule in a memorable and striking way. So here's an example from outside the Bible. Early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's not in the Bible. It's attributed to Ben Franklin. And it's got some problems. Uh, for example, there are other more crucial factors to being wise, like 
fearing the Lord. Uh, but that saying does express a general truth. That is, if you are deliberate and diligent and disciplined, you'll be more successful in life. That's true. But there are exceptions to that rule. I can think of at least two. One, there are some people who are healthy and wealthy and wise who don't go to bed early and get up early. And second, there are some people who do go to bed early and get up early who are not healthy and wealthy and wise. So again, a saying like that expresses a general truth. That's the way Proverbs works. So keep that in mind as we consider these Proverbs in Proverbs 3. So back to our question, is it always the case that if you obey your parents, you'll live a long life? Well, Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke has helped me with this question in Proverbs by suggesting a fourfold solution to this problem. So here's my paraphrase of, of Waltke. Number one, Proverbs are generally true in our experience. Number two, a proverb is a short, pithy saying that can't say everything. Number three, these proverbs have the big picture in mind. And number four, specifically regarding living a long, full, and satisfying life, the term life in proverbs does not refer exclusively to physical life now, but includes the life after death. Life in Proverbs typically refers to more than just a long physical life. So Waltke explains that in Proverbs, life refers to, quote, an abundant life of health, prosperity, and social esteem. Life is essentially a relationship with the living and eternal God, end quote. So I think we begin to experience that now in this life, that eternal life, but it doesn't end with physical death. Physical death is not the end for Christians because we have eternal life. And for Christians, it is not death to die. When we die and are with the Lord, we'll be more alive than we've ever been. So based on how Proverbs work, Proverbs 3, 1 and 2 is not overpromising. Again, the reward of obeying what the book of Proverbs teaches you is a long, full, and satisfying life. That's the first stanza. Now let's look at the second stanza, verses three and four. Verse three says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Let's stop there. First question here is, what does steadfast love and faithfulness mean? Steadfast love and faithfulness. The NASB translates this as kindness and truth. Kindness and truth. I think this phrase is alluding to a really important passage in Scripture earlier, Exodus 34, verse 6, which says this, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love and faithfulness it's the exact same Hebrew phrase that Proverbs 3, 3 has. It's a hugely, uh, Exodus 34, 6 is a hugely significant passage in the Bible about what God is like. And later, Bible passages repeat that phrase, steadfast love and faithfulness. So here, in Proverbs 3, 3, steadfast love and faithfulness, I think, refers to those same qualities that 
describe God himself, and they should also characterize God's people. God is full of steadfast love and faithfulness, so we should too. Now, we could combine these two terms into one as shorthand. Here's how I would do it. The two words would be loyal love. Loyal love. So loyal love should characterize us. And I mean love in the best sense of the term, not blindly affirming whatever someone wants. Love is not affirming whatever someone thinks he needs. This is a loyal love. This love is faithful, steadfast. So what does it mean to, to, to let loyal love forsake you? It means to discard it as not valuable. Discard it as not worth expressing. So there are three connected pictures in these lines, lines one, two, and three. Line one pictures steadfast love and faithfulness like companions you should stay close to. So don't let them leave you. Don't let them go away. And then lines two and three explain how to obey line one. Line two pictures loyal love like this small object that you can tie around your neck to keep it safe so that you don't lose it. It's like wearing a necklace with a special ring on it. Any of you do that? You have a necklace on, you have the ring on the necklace. Uh, and also this is like an object you tie around your neck so that you, you see it and you feel it often so that it reminds you to live in accord with loyal love. So some people put their wedding ring on, their, on a necklace and put it around their neck sometimes because the ring doesn't fit on their finger anymore. So the idea is that when you wear a wedding ring on your neck, it keeps it safe and it reminds a husband or wife to have loyal love. That's line two. And then line three pictures loyal love like precious wisdom that you write down so you can memorize it and meditate on it. But the picture is far weightier than writing something down on typical writing material. Here, you write it down on the tablet of your heart. It just struck me this morning that that word tablet might strike some young people differently than the rest of us. Uh, <laughs> that is not referring to an iPad. Uh, so the, it's saying the tablet which is your heart. Write it down on your heart. Your heart is the very essence of who you are. So loyal love should characterize your nature. You should always express loyal love. If someone pokes you, you should bleed loyal love. So we can summarize the wise command in verse three like this. Always express loyal love. Always express loyal love. Now, let's look at the reward in verse four. So, you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. That word so indicates that verse four is the consequence or the reward of verse three. And since good success is specifically in the sight of God and man, we could translate that Hebrew phrase like the NASB or the NLT. It says a good reputation. You'll find favor and a good reputation in the sight of God and man. Or the NIV says a good name. The CSB, high regard. So we can summarize the reward as a good reputation, a good reputation. So to put it all together, we can summarize verses three and four like this. The reward of always expressing loyal love 
is a good reputation. Now, do righteous people always have a good reputation among, among other people? Do righteous people always have a good reputation among others? Well, did Jesus, did Jesus always have a good reputation among others? No, some of his fellow Jews hated him so much that they wanted him to be crucified. So there's a tension in the Bible regarding your reputation. I'll just mention two passages that express this tension. This is one, here's another. Proverbs 22.1 says this, Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor is better than silver or gold. So that sounds like a good reputation is valuable and we should want it. And then contrast that with what Jesus says in Luke 6.26, woe to you when people speak well of you for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So, so which is it? Should we desire a good reputation or should we be indifferent about our reputation? Which one? Is the Bible contradicting itself here? No, we should desire a good reputation in one sense and we should be indifferent about it in another sense. So let me explain that. On the one hand, we should desire a good reputation so that we can make much of God. We should desire a good reputation so that we can help others treasure Christ in all of life. That's the motive for wanting a good reputation. On the other hand, we should be indifferent about our reputation if it means that others criticize us for faithfully obeying God. We should courageously be faithful to God even if that means others will disapprove of, disapprove of us. And we should care more about what God thinks of us than what other people think of us. And according to Proverbs 3, 3 and 4, the reward of always expressing loyal love is a good reputation. Here are three examples from scripture. One is Joseph. Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight and attended him and, and Potiphar made Joseph overseer of his house and put, in, put him in charge of all that he had. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. That's the kind of reputation we're talking about, Proverbs 3. Here's another example from 1 Samuel 2. The boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And a third example is the boy Jesus. Jesus according to Luke 2.52, increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So according to Proverbs 3, 3 and 4, the reward of always expressing loyal love is a good reputation. Now we're ready for the final stanza, verses five through eight. Let's read it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So let's first consider the five lines here that constitute the command, the ones that are not underlined. First two lines in verse five are parallel in a positive, negative sense. So this, not that, trust the Lord, don't trust yourself. 
okay? Positive, negative. What does it mean to trust in the Lord? Well, the Old Testament uses this word trust in two basic ways. You can trust an object or you can trust a person. Let me explain both. First, you can trust an object. You can trust an object by relying on it for support, for help, for protection. It's like relying on a bow and arrow or a sword, Psalm 44.6. It's like relying on riches, Proverbs 11.28. Or I like this one best to illustrate this. It's like relying on a walking cane, Isaiah 36.6. So imagine that picture of a walking cane. Because I like this because the next line says don't, don't lean on your own understanding. So just imagine a walking cane that's splintered and ready to split. What is going to happen if you lean your full weight on that splintered cane? It's going to split and you'll fall. Your own wisdom is like a splintered walking cane. You are foolish to lean on it. So that's what it's like to trust an object. Now here's what it's like to trust a person. You can trust a person by relying on him for support, for help, or for protection. It's like relying on a close friend, Psalm 41.9. I love how Proverbs 31 describes how a husband relies on his godly wife. The heart of her husband trusts in her. The person whom we should supremely and unreservedly rely on for life and breath and everything is God himself. God often exhorts us in scripture, trust in the Lord, like in Psalm 4, 5. Or it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man, Psalm 118.8. So to trust in the Lord is to rely on him and not yourself. Specifically in this passage, in Proverbs 3, 5 to 8, to trust the Lord is to rely on him for wisdom about how to live. So trusting the Lord is the opposite of trusting your own understanding apart from God's wisdom. Let me illustrate this with sourdough bread. So my wife is really skilled at making sourdough bread. I've never tried to bake sourdough bread myself and I, I don't even know how to do it on my own. If I wanted to do it on my own, what should I do if my wife wrote out detailed instructions for me to bake sourdough bread? I think I'd be foolish if I thought, well, Jenny says to do all these specific things, but they don't seem that important to me. I mean, I'm just going to do this my way. She says to add this much salt. Uh, I think we should double it. And she says to let the dough rise for a certain period of time. Uh, I don't think that's necessary. She says to weigh the dough so that the loaf of bread will be a particular size. I'm just going to bake it all at once, get it done faster. And she says to bake it at this particular temperature, but you know, I'm very efficient, so I'm going to bake it even hotter to get the job done faster, right? Uh, I'd be foolish to think that way. I asked her this morning, what would happen if I did that? She says, well, you'd have a burnt crust on the outside and a lot of dough on the inside. Like, okay. Uh, so the way of wisdom would be to follow my wife's instructions, even if I don't understand all the reasons for them. I should trust my wife enough to do what she says here. When it comes to baking bread, Am I going to trust my own wisdom or my wife's wisdom? And that illustrates Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. When it comes to how you live, are you going to trust your own wisdom or God's wisdom? 
Do you trust God enough to do what he says? Do you trust God enough to do what he tells you in the book of Proverbs? As we just saw in Proverbs 2, verse 6, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So trust the Lord. Do what he says. Now, to what degree should you trust the Lord? Verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, with your whole being, fully, unreservedly trust the Lord. Here's a way to illustrate that. Imagine a guy who wants to walk across what he thinks might be a frozen lake. All right? It's typically safe to walk on ice when it's clear ice, at least four inches thick. But he doesn't know that, and he slowly starts to crawl on his hands and knees. He's terrified that at any moment he'll crack the ice and fall into the water. And then he's about halfway across the lake, and he suddenly hears a noise, and he turns and sees it's a mid-sized pickup truck <laughs> zooming past him to set up an ice fishing hole. So how does he respond to that? He stops crawling on his hands and knees and realizes, this ice can hold me. He was trusting the ice reservedly. Now he's trusting the ice unreservedly. That's how we should trust the Lord, unreservedly, not like the guy crawling on the ice. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What does heart refer to? Your heart is the core, the essence of who you are. It's your innermost being. Your heart directs how you think and treasure and choose. It directs your mind and your desires and your will. A helpful parallel to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is the proverb in 28, 26. Whoever, whoever trusts in his own mind, and that word mind translates slave, the same word, this, it's heart. So whoever trusts his own heart is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Whoever trusts in his own heart is a fool. Don't be a fool by trusting your heart. Walk in wisdom by obeying what God says. And just look at verse 5 and, and, and think, how does that compare with what our culture says? If our culture were to write that proverb in verse 5, what would our culture say? Would it say trust in the Lord? It would say trust in yourself, trust in your heart, trust in your feelings. Don't listen to anybody else. That, that way you'll be happy. Lean on your own wisdom. Lean on your own feelings. Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Believe in yourself. That's a lie. And the Bible tells us the exact opposite here. Don't follow your heart. Don't trust your own wisdom. Trust in the Lord. Lean on the Lord's wisdom. And he continues in verse 6, in all your ways, acknowledge him. What does that word acknowledge mean? It means to know him, submit to him, seek his will in all you do, trust and obey him. Now, should you acknowledge the Lord only for huge life decisions or just for churchy stuff? What does it say? In all your ways, acknowledge him. We exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things. Our church motto is treasuring Christ 
in all of life. God's wisdom is not just for a slice, a slice of your life. You should trust and obey God in every room in your house, in your workplace, when you're traveling, in how you relate to your parents and siblings and children and neighbors and colleagues, in what you watch and read and listen to and write and wear and eat and drink in all your ways acknowledge him in all your ways trust and obey him and the commands continue here in verse 7 be not wise in your own eyes that means don't be impressed with your own wisdom that's how the nlt translates the first line of verse 7 don't be impressed with your own wisdom and that basically repeats do not lean on your own understanding. As Proverbs 26, 12 says, do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Be not wise in your own eyes, verse seven, is the opposite of the next line in verse seven. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So the opposite of being impressed with your own wisdom is to fear God and shun evil. Here are five short examples I'm drawing from the book of Proverbs that contrast trusting the Lord and his wisdom versus trusting yourself, your wisdom. Number one, children, you are being wise in your own eyes if you disobey what your parents teach you. You think you know better than God. You think your way is better. That's being wise in your own eyes. That's what this passage is saying not to do. Number two, fathers and mothers, you are being wise in your own eyes if you refuse to use the rod of discipline on your disobedient young children. You think you know better than God. You think your way's better. Number three, teens and adults, you are being wise in your own eyes if you have sex outside of the marriage covenant of one man and one woman. You think you know better than God. You think your way's better. It's being wise in your own eyes. Number four, this is for all of us, you're being wise in your own eyes if you refuse to work hard and instead loaf around and mooch off others. You think you know better than God. You think your way's better. And number five, you're being wise in your own eyes if you attempt to find ultimate security and satisfaction in money and possessions. You think your, your way is better than God's. You think you know better than God. So we can summarize the wise command in this passage like this. Unreservedly trust the Lord. Unreservedly trust the Lord, not yourself. Now let's look at the reward. It's the three lines I have highlighted. Line two and verse six and then verse eight. Let's start with the second line of verse six. So in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. That's the reward of in all your ways acknowledge him. So the idea here is that God will clear out the obstacles for you so that you can successfully go forward on the right path. In the book of Proverbs, there are only two paths you can go down. The path of the wicked or the path of the righteous. That's it, those are the two paths. The wrong path is morally crooked and the right path is morally straight. The straight path 
is the rewarding path. So for God to make your paths straight means that he enables you to live wisely and enjoy the rewards that result from wise living. And the rest of the reward is verse 8. It'll be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Verse 8. Your flesh is your body. So your body and your bones are two ways of referring to your whole person. And, and verse 8 is the reward of verse 7. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Here's the reward. It'll be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. That word refreshment translates a word that means drink. Drink. So why, why the translation refreshment? Well, when you're hot and tired and thirsty, what's it like to drink cold water? Ah, oh, it's refreshing. Refreshment. So drinking is the cause. Refreshment is the result. And when you trust God instead of your own understanding, ah, oh, it's refreshing. That's the result. That's the reward. So we can summarize the reward in verses 5 to 8 like this. Straight paths and refreshment. When you unreservedly trust the Lord, that's the reward. So to put it all together, the reward of unreservedly trusting the Lord is straight paths and refreshment. Now there are two issues briefly to press in on here. Guidance in verses five and six and healing in verses seven and eight. So first let's consider guidance as we look at verses five and six again. Do verses five and six promise that God will specifically direct or guide you to make a particular specific choice when you are at a crossroads. So Christians commonly cite this passage as their go-to Bible passage on how to know God's specific will in a matter for uh, a big decision, like where should I go to college? Whom should I marry? What job should I take? Should I go to a different place? Should I move to a different place? Should I buy this car or that car? You know, thinking is like this. If I if I just trust in the Lord, then he'll make it clear to me exactly what specific choice I should make. So the key to knowing what to do is not that I carefully use my mind to wisely analyze a situation based on wise principles that God has revealed. The key is that I passively wait on God to fill me with leadings and impressions and promptings and feelings. I don't think that's what this passage, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, means. The reward of this passage is that God will make straight your paths. This passage does not teach that God will direct or guide you with special revelation outside the Bible. That's not what this one's teaching. The, the literary context of this passage is not about God directing or guiding you with fresh revelation. In this passage, the contrast is between using my mind, my wisdom, versus God's wisdom. It's not using my mind versus mystically waiting on God to bypass my mind. See the difference here? The contrast is between trusting God versus trusting me. It's God's wisdom or my wisdom. So our problem is not that we think too much, but that we think badly. We sinfully trust our own wisdom. It's like me trying to bake sourdough bread without following my wife's instructions. And when we insist on trusting our own wisdom, 
We're being foolish and rebellious. We should trust God's wisdom. In the book of Proverbs, the way we know God's wisdom is by listening to God's instructions. He's speaking to us. He's telling us wisdom, and we need to listen. So we access that in the Bible. We trust God by studying what God has spoken and then by obeying it with God's help. That's why our church emphasizes the Bible, memorizing the Bible, singing the Bible, praying the Bible. uh, uh, This is Bible, 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 Bible. Why? Because that's where we get wisdom. That's where God's speaking. That's how we hear from God himself. The Bible's our main source for knowing God's wisdom. We trust God's words. We lean on God's words. So that's, that's uh, issue one, guidance. Now let's consider a second issue, healing. And here I'm thinking of verses seven and eight because it ends by saying, it'll be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Does that reward, healing to your flesh, does that mean that if we fear the Lord and turn away from evil, that the Lord will make it so that we never suffer, that we never have sickness or disease? Is that what this is teaching? No, the Bible soundly rejects the so-called prosperity gospel. You ever heard that term before? The prosperity gospel says that God rewards our increased faith with increased health and or wealth. But that teaching perverts the gospel. The gospel, this is good news about Jesus, is that Jesus lived and died and rose again for sinners and that God will save you if you turn from your sins and trust Jesus. It's not true that God always blesses his obedient people with health and wealth. In God's providence, his good providence, many godly people suffer, like Job or Joseph or Daniel or Jeremiah or Paul So how do we interpret Proverbs 3, 7, and 8? We need to carefully understand what God's intending to communicate here. Let's not assume that the word healing here means that you will always have perfect physical health. It can't mean that because we all eventually die. So this is expressing a truth that's just so different from how our culture today pursues health. Our culture is obsessed with physical and mental health. But here's the irony. When that kind of health is your main objective, your main goal, you're less likely to achieve it. When fearing the Lord is your main goal, you're more likely to experience overall health, not just physically and mentally, but spiritually. A person who fears the Lord should be stable, secure, joyful, not anxious. Proverbs 14:12 summarizes this truth negatively. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. In contrast, when you trust God's wisdom instead of your own, its end, the reward, is life. So what does it look like in everyday life to unreservedly trust the Lord and then receive the reward of straight paths and refreshment. I think of one of our faithful church members, a hardworking dad, a stay-at-home mom, empty nesters, a young businessman, a college student, 
a child living at home with mom and dad? What do all of you Christ followers have in common? You trust God's wisdom without reservation. You don't value your own wisdom above God's wisdom, whether the issue is money or sex or relationships or work or parenting. You trust whatever God says because God is all wise and trustworthy. And the reward of trusting God is that God leads you down a morally straight path. That is, God enables you to live wisely and enjoy the rewards that result from wise living. You're not doing the equivalent of putting diesel into your gasoline tank. You're not destroying the engine by living contrary to the designer. And God is so kind, isn't he? He, he gives you this type of healing and refreshment that those who rebel against God's wisdom can't enjoy. So according to Proverbs 3, 5, and 8, the reward of unreservedly trusting the Lord is straight paths and refreshment. So to summarize the, the three stanzas, first, the reward of obeying what the book of Proverbs teaches you is a long, full, and satisfying life. Second stanza, the reward of always expressing loyal love is a good reputation. And finally, the reward of unreservedly trusting the Lord is straight paths and refreshment. Now I have one last comment before we conclude. You might be wondering, Andy, are you, are you even preaching a Christian sermon? What's Christian about this? Would you get kicked out of a Jewish synagogue for preaching this? That was a good question. Um, we are Christians who at this point in history have access to the Old and New Testaments. That does not mean, however, that we treat the book of Proverbs and the rest of the Old Testament as law that we don't have to follow. Right after our passage comes Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, which Hebrews 12 cites as directly applicable to Christians today. So the book of Proverbs is for Christians today. It's enduring wisdom from God. So how, how do we think about it as Christians? Mike Bullmore, one of my former pastors, really helped me with this. He starts with Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I love that statement. Now, all things. Pastor Mike Bullmore showed, showed me that includes the book of Proverbs. Never thought of that. Read it again. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with his son, with Christ, graciously give us all things, including the book of Proverbs? Ah, now we're clicking it in pace. The wisdom in the book of Proverbs is not opposed to Christ. Christ himself embodies wisdom, and the book of Proverbs tells us how to get wisdom. So with God's help, let's get wisdom. And in God's kindness, wisdom is rewarding. So let's be wise and experience God's kind rewards. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for graciously giving us all things with Christ, including the wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Thank you for encouraging us to live wisely by offering us the incentives of rewards.
So would you please help us obey what the book of Proverbs teaches and then let us enjoy the reward of a long, full, and satisfying life? Would you please help us always express loyal love and then let us enjoy the reward of a good reputation? And would you please help us unreservedly trust you and then let us enjoy the reward of straight paths and refreshment? We want to live the way you designed us to live so that you get the glory and we get the joy. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Sermons Podcast from the North Church. For more information about our church or resources to help you deepen your walk with Christ, please visit us at thenorthchurch.com.